Whenever we're talking about the music industry, we hear a lot of stories. We hear about artists who've made it big, one hit wonders such as Cisco's Thong Song, and stories of contract hell, where the artist is stuck in a hellacious situation that they can't get out of, don't own their own content, and more. We don't even have to go that far back to find these stories. And as the business of music changes because of technology and just the ability to leverage the internet, Lil Nas X is a good example of this for marketing, I thought it would be interesting to talk about Taylor Swift and her long-fought efforts to re-record and own her content and in particular own her masters. You're probably asking yourself, what in the hell does Taylor Swift have to do with Michelle's, Michelle's Money Hungry Season, Vixens, Virgins, and Vigilantes, the impact of policy on American women's money? Because that's all I'm talking about this year is policy and money. But one could argue that there is unspoken policy in creative spaces that are harmful to creative women. And I thought I would explore this topic more. Artists such as TLC, Kesha, Tony Braxton, and more have alleged that they were in harmful situations and harmful contracts that impacted their wallets. With some artists having to purchase access to their art, retract statements that alleged harm and more. I wondered if there was an unspoken policy in the music industry hyper-focused on always winning the long game. Because if the music is good, the payout should be too. And at the end of the day, Taylor Swift's story has made her way onto the show because it's pretty compelling. Also, I'm a Swifty. Don't forget to sign up for Your American Money, my newsletter associated with this project. If you want pop culture takes on money and other issues related to personal finance, make sure you subscribe to that. You'll get updated on upcoming episodes. The list goes on. It will always be free. So there's also that. By the way, if you're wondering how you can support this podcast season, I've got an ask. Your faith in me and this project is humbling. And I hope that this project reflects the thoughtfulness and care I would like to bring to this season and this conversation. If you're interested in supporting this project, I've included the following donation link to do so. It is michelleismoneyhungry.com backslash support. I want to thank Amy O for your kind support towards this project this week. Thank you so much. I appreciate it and do know that it really moved me. And uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, Taylor Swift is a billionaire. It's wild to think about in a music industry that seems to be decreasing in financial returns for the artist that there still are those folks making billions of dollars or hitting that billion dollar mark. And Taylor Swift is one of those people. I have a friend who had the dream to become a country music artist. She is such an amazing singer. We met when she was leading a team that I was on as a brand ambassador. This friend would share kind of the behind the scenes of what it was like to build a music business. She would tour around the country. She would sing at different bars. She had to 
pool, her equipment, and, you know, she had other musicians that she had to work with. And after listening to all the stories, I, I landed with this. It's fucking hard. There was the touring, the cumulative impact of streaming. And then there were the times when things happened in her life that affected her ability to actually tour. What I was struck by was how much she hated the payouts per stream. She just couldn't get ahead. It was clear that there was no way artists could make a sustainable living 100% reliant on digital streams of the work that they created. It's not lost on me that so many larger artists and larger musicians, well-known musicians are diversifying the way they're making their money. I'm going to share a few examples of people that we all are fairly familiar with who have shifted what they're doing. Rihanna, she now runs a company called Fenty. She has tennis shoes, lingerie, music, and brand partnerships as well as collaborations with Amazon Prime. Mariah Carey, brand partnerships, liquor production, streams of All I Want for Christmas every every single December, and more. Then there's Beyonce. She is a co-owner of Tidal, which is a streaming platform, brand partnerships, her own music, touring, apparel, and a Netflix collaboration. If you want to make money, it seems, as a musician, you can't just make money with the music anymore. When Taylor Swift decided to re-record her masters, there was a really interesting conversation that she had with someone who ended up being her greatest financial ally, and that was Kelly Clarkson. Now, they were on Kelly Clarkson's show, and I guess they were kind of talking back and forth. I kind of remember the exchange, but one thing stood out, which was Kelly Clarkson goes, why don't you just re-record your masters? And well, as luck would have it, Taylor took that to heart and she did decide to re-record her creative works. And ultimately she and her audience were the beneficiaries of all that hard work. And I, I just kind of imagine her quietly in her studio during COVID, just recording album after album because the way that she's been re- she was able to release them kind of indicates that's what happened. My favorite songs, by the way, out of her newest recordings are Lavender Haze and Karma. No pun intended. What are your favorite new songs by Taylor? New old songs. But as time went by and I watched her re-record and eventually saw like the incredible power of her tour and all the Swifties like literally revitalizing downtowns across the U.S. and beyond, I began to kind of wonder how would this win for her impact future music industry contracts? Would the long-term unintended impact cause harm to other future and current musicians? Because the question I kept landing on and asking myself was how would music industry contracts change to keep musicians from re-recording their own creative works. Like once they're under contract, who owns what and who can do what? Remember, the money for those works now go to Taylor instead of Scooter Braun, who had acquired ownership of her intellectual property when he took over ownership of the label that she used to be represented by. Basically, things changed hands and her creative works changed hands at the same time. And 
you can go online to see why this ownership of her creative work really bothered her. There are numerous stories of former and current musicians who lost access to the rights of their creative work. And I thought it'd be interesting also to share, like, this wasn't something that was hidden. Like people, these musicians were saying something. TLC, they were one of the most famous groups out there for a time. And they were asked, well, how are you doing? And they're like, we're broke. <laughs> like, can you imagine? Then Kesha, that story to this day is so upsetting. And you can uh, go to the show notes for this episode to click to a post that I linked to that kind of described what Kesha had to go through in order to get out of her previous contract, some of the things that were alleged and litigated on, but it was literally a 10-year battle. And when I think about the business of music, where your voice can change, where your health can impact your ability to do what you're doing, where music, where your throat is the thing that is your instrument and something could happen. Like, I can't even imagine how that was for her. And then finally, Megan the Stallion, who was in litigation against her representation. And it looks like they've resolved the dispute. And now she looks like we'll be releasing her music for this episode. I'm going to be honest. I really wanted to speak to a musician who was currently working to make it big in the industry. But as I thought about it and thought about reaching out to artists in different musical genres, I really worried that this type of conversation, even off record, would potentially harm their future career. What if the wrong ears heard their very legitimate concerns and this conversation bit them in the ass in some sort of way? When I think about unspoken policy in the music industry, the following things come to mind. Long-term control over intellectual property. Fame as an opportunity that's like dangled in front of people who are likely unfamiliar with the ins and outs of the contracts that they're about to sign. They may not even have the right representation or perhaps the representation offered to them isn't really working on their behalf. The historic power of patrons who influenced the work that artists were creating. And then I also think about technology. Anywho, it just seems pretty clear that behind the scenes, it's a dog-eat-dog world for musicians. So instead, I ended up speaking with a music producer to gain some insight into what he thought the impact of Taylor's victory on other creatives' careers could potentially be. Before we get to that part of the conversation, though, I do want to ask this question. Is it a pyrrhic victory? You know, a victory that has a greater cost. It's hard to tell and only time will tell, but creatives are fighting back. Technology of all things may help give musicians more power over their intellectual property and their personal earnings. Resources such as Dystopia, Bandcamp, Patreon, or Gumroad are tools that artists could use to get paid directly from their audience. Tools such as Flowdesk, which is an email subscription tool, is another way for these artists to have information on the people who are supporting their work, basically to build their lists. And even 
tools such as Substack, Beehive, or Ghost, which are platforms that a lot of people use to design newsletters on, are another way that creatives can say, look, I can't control everything, but there are some things that I can't control about the work that I'm putting out into the world. Either way, I am glad that Taylor was able to get her money and to get her creative work. And it's not lost on me that I love the song Karma, but I do worry that in the long run, this victory might not be a victory for everyone. And we might not know the harm potentially that it could have caused to others who don't have the money and the time and the representation and the knowledge to be able to fight in such an ingenious way. I thought I would wrap up this conversation with Avedon Smith, who is a music producer out of the East Coast. I loved having this conversation with Avedon, and I think you'll find it interesting what he has to say about the approach that Taylor took. My name is Avedon Smith. I am a music producer slash brand coach, and I am so thankful for you having me on this episode. Thank you so much. Today, we're going to talk about Taylor Swift, how she re-recorded her masters so that she could have the ownership of them. And just some, I, I just have a lot of thoughts on how that could impact contracts for other artists, both in good and bad ways. And so I would love for you to share how you got into music and, and music production before we start this part of the conversation. Okay, so this is going to be fun. I got into music production because one of my best friends, which he's like a brother to me now, we're still really good friends. He told me that he downloaded this really weird named software called Fruity Loops and he got it off LimeWire. I am not advocating downloading things off LimeWire. We're going to make that clear. <laughs> But I got into music production off that back in October of 2004. And so we're going on, this is going to be my 20th year. I feel weird saying that, of making music. <laughs> and it has been a ride. It has been a ride because I have gotten so many opportunities to work with people who are not so much known and some pretty well-known people at one point. So it's 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 an amazing thing. But um. This whole conversation with Taylor Swift, I'm excited because I am pro-ownership to the fullest. I have said over and over and over again to anyone I've worked with, own your masters. Own them. So I'm excited for this part of the conversation, actually. If I am in 2024, at the time we're recording this, if I'm a musician mm -hmm. and I'm looking to, to start my career and get into the industry, what are some of the like areas of friction, roadblocks, like what are the things that could mess me up financially? The unspoken things that I need to know so that I can even have a shot for making it in this business. One, and this is going to be, this is a, a speed hack for everyone. Stop trying to do everything by yourself. It's and when I say stop trying to do everything by yourself, I understand you may be a solo artist, maybe a solo producer, Stop doing everything by yourself in the sense where you don't try to look up and re do enough research. If you can get proper management, get proper management. If you can put in your mind that this is a business, you are a part of the music business. When you go beyond 
uploading this, uploading this to a, you go up to a place of uploading my music to a website. This is no longer my music hobby. This is a music business now, because if you want to make money from it, you have to understand that there's, there's going to be a lot of gatekeep. There's going to be some gatekeeping if you're going to focus on just being a part of the regular industry. And there's going to be a lot of people who are going to talk you down or not want to want to work with you because you're brand new. These are these are frictional areas that I've noticed from the artist perspective of being in the music industry and even from for, from producers. Producers, you're going to have to be very, very mindful that a lot of artists are not going to willing to pay full price for beats. And because there are producers who are willing to give out five beats for like five bucks or five beats for like 20 bucks, it's going to make your business model a bit harder if you want to charge for quality. So in all retrospect, this is why I say don't work by yourself. If you're an artist, find a producer that is willing to work and build with you. That is number one. Find find a producer that is willing to work with you and produce a find an artist that you can build with. But what I've noticed is that a lot of times the management is the problem. So we just right now, I mean, the story has died down a little bit, but I'm sure we're going to start hearing more around uh, Puff Daddy, P Diddy, whatever he calls himself now. Um, and some of the allegations that were levied against him and, mm. you know, um, as well as other management um, out there. Kesha is another example where she alleged that she had been assaulted. She was trying to get out of her contract for so many years. There's all this litigation. And so I guess my question would be, you know, as we talk about Taylor Swift, who I feel like had the same management as Kesha, how do you find the right management when there seems to be so many shady ass people out there? One of the things that I would say is you have to be mindful of the fact. Well, one, I would say, don't trust the industry. <laughs> That'll be number one. I'll say, don't trust the industry. If you are trusting to be in the mainstream media, the mainstream industry, they are going to have the best interests of their executives and the bottom line more than they do you as a person and what your values are. So number one will be not to look there. Number two, if you want to find proper management, I would arguably enough to say you need to find people and you might need to hire people that you know who have a good ear for music and your best interests. I would say you would need to get you need to bring some people along because it's rare that you're not going to find just management that's going to be wanting to wanting to help you because even some management companies that are not in the industry they're still following the trends of the industry to make sure things work. They, hey, this works because of this. This works because of that. A lot of management advice was for the longest time was create singles, singles, create singles, make more singles, make more singles, make more singles. And that model has worked for a little bit. But now as we're looking at streaming, everyone's so focused on the, on singles, it's hard to remember any one song now because they only have one song to their catalog. 
And I would say a good way to uh for our artists, now this is for, for you artists out here, if you want to get good management, you gotta put yourself in more situations where you could be seen and known. So you need to go out to if there is a show each night or a different go to different cafes or different areas, different clubs, different lounges, wherever you need to go to to perform your song, you need to go to the right place to perform your song. And you need to perform the song like it's the best song as ever. If there's only one or two people watching, you need to perform like it's 20,000 people watching. So we're we're going to get into Taylor Swift re-recording her um, master's basically outsmarting her management that she wanted to break up with becoming, I think she's a billionaire at this point as a result of the, the, the money that came in as well as the tour associated with the, the older content. And one of the things I, I keep thinking is bravo to, to Taylor Swift and to Kelly Clarkson, because I remember Kelly Clarkson specifically saying to her on TV, Maybe you should just re-record your masters. Like, I, I don't know why she said this. A lot of people reference that moment. And Taylor Swift just started doing it, right? And um, Megan the Stallion also, it looks like, is trying to also uh, re record and release her, her uh, content direct to consumer. But in terms of this win by Taylor, I am concerned that it's going to become something contentious in other people's contracts where management might be like, you cannot re-record your, if you want us to ma manage you or represent you or to work with you, we own your the rights to your works for X, Y, Z amount of years. You cannot re-record it. Like, do you think that there's going to be some blowback, some pushback because she out, she won the game. She played, they were playing checkers. She played chess. Okay. Absolutely. Every oh my god, like she she like when I think about how she did this, I it, it really amazes me. So what are your thoughts? So my thoughts on that, I'm with you. I do believe executives are gonna try to keep their artists locked in. They're gonna try to peer pressure them to stay locked into different contracts and or try to talk them out of doing it and doing re-recording their masters and saying that no one's gonna do it, no one's gonna listen. And they're gonna really be a lot of bullying going on in that instance. And then also for their renewal contracts, when their contracts have to renew, it's going to be placed in there without even telling them. So they're gonna it's gonna be snuck in and and it's and just probably with a one sentence change to their contract saying and this artist cannot re-record their masters. I do see something like that happening, and it's going to affect a lot of artists who again don't have good management and or their manager will say, Hey, yeah, the contract's good, go ahead and sign it, basically setting them up for failure. So I would say Taylor Swift's case is definitely a case that is going to cause a major shift because you're going to have more artists who are going to not even go down the, the, the mainstream route in the first place. They're not going to go down the route of going to connecting with a major label because they're going to see that if she had to go through all this, I don't want to go through all that. So I'm going to go ahead and just be independent. You're going to have some people who, who are going to take the take that route. And then you're going to have some people who are going to take what they perceive to be the shorter route is working with the um the label because that's easier. It's that I know I get paid. It's like best I could, I could say it is like they feel like they got a job again, but they the job they got is the job they love. But they don't understand that this job that they quote unquote love is about to steal every bit of um 
liberty from them because this is how your 360 deals came into place. Your 360 deals basically gave the labels to get a cut out of everything you make. This is going to be the new deal that's going to come into place so that they can get more. Wait, let's talk more about this 360 deals. Are there like people that we may have heard of who've had that happen recently or in the past? More so in the past, but newer artists that were coming out, I think, I think it was six, nine, uh, had a 360 deals. Basically these labels will sign you in and basically everything you make your merch, the, the label gets a cut off. See, there was at one point that the labels, they didn't get a cut off your merch or anything else outside of just the, um, the album sales. But now they get a cut. A lot of these labels, they get a cut off everything. Because in their minds, they're helping facilitate and provide the platform to do so. One of the things that I think about is, is music, how do I put this? Like, I feel like the arts are always a questionable thing to go into in terms of like making a living, <laughs> yeah. um, which is which is why you have Patre Patreon and stuff like that. With streaming, is it foolish to think that you can make a living selling your music i mean you know is it just a fool's wish i would say yes and no it's foolish if you believe that out the gate you're going to be somebody who could live off this is it possible if you have a great marketing plan for your music then yeah because i know of a of a music producer who scaled his Spotify and he's making like tens of thousands of dollars per month from Spotify. Very generous. So it's like, that's his automated income now. So I would say it depends if you have music that is people would want to play over and over again. And you create, if you could create an album that people want to hear over and over again, then yeah, you can, you can make some, some pretty good money on these platforms but the truth of the matter is that's not going to be everybody that's going to be less than one percent it's kind of like the scale numbers roberto put up for youtube It's only going to be x amount of people that can reach that threshold it's not going to be available for everybody so that's why i do think it's foolish because imagine a tiny hole right and you have a hundred people dashing at the same time to try to fit through that tiny hole it's like you're not going to get those results. You're not going to get the results that you're looking for. So, yeah. I'm trying to figure out if Taylor Swift has a management company. And it looks like she does. But I'm wondering if she might decide to let that go. Depending on, I mean, I just feel like it's she's had such a negative experience. But it looks like, I don't know, I, I just wonder, would, would she be compelled to just do direct consumer moving forward because it was so successful? What I would say is if her management company led her down the path of re-recording her masters, she's going to stay with them. Okay. But if her, if her management company was responsible for putting her in, a, in this position in the first place, then I could easily see her leaving because... Mm -hmm. The direct-to-consumer route is good, is really good. My only concerns with the direct-to-consumer route is 
how sustainable is it for long term? Because when you're doing direct to consumer and you don't have a management company, you're the main show of making sure everything gets done. And I question how sustainable is that down the line? That's why I said I always advocate for having a, having more than one people helping you with your business. So this way, it's, yeah, the, the payouts are going to be split out, split out between you and the other people or you and that person. But I would much rather be a pay split. Mm-hmm. And the type of work and the type of music could be at its best because this is in, in a calmer state of mind continually because of proper management. And I say this a point in my head, not for those of you who can't see me. <laughs> um, I'm kind of thinking about like there's there's these, and we're kind of wrapping this up, but there's there's like marketing and then there's sales, right? And the week we're recording this, Lil Nas X just released his uh, single. And you can say a lot of things about him, but he is one of the best marketers I've ever seen. Like he's a natural marketer. And so it's really interesting to think that maybe the problem most artists have is they don't understand the difference between the two. One of the things that I would say with marketing and sales, marketing here, here's what I tell people, because a lot of people think they're the same sometimes. Sales is just you selling a product. Marketing is you getting people to get to the product. Mm. That's all it is. Marketing is knowing how to basically is drawing a roadmap between your product and the consumer, and they can follow that roadmap to make a purchase. And I think a lot of people, a lot of music artists, um, like you said, they don't understand this. Little Nas X, he definitely does understand this because he knows how to get people to go listen to the song. How am I going to get people to listen to the song? I am going to do something totally outrageous that you you will feel compelled to go see what am I talking about just because of how outrageous it is. And he's not the first to do this. People have been doing this since the beginning of time. Is utilizing audiences. It goes back to the old saying, good press and bad press are both good press. Mm, talking about press, we're wrapping up. Do you think that Travis Kelsey and Taylor are actually even dating? Or is, is that real? I, I feel like it's not real. I haven't been following on that. With you. <laughs> <laughs> I am not that I am not that guy. But if I if I is the closest that I am to that guy is if I if I wake up and I see on my Google News. X and Y is dating X is dating Y. I'm like, oh, okay. So <laughs> that's the first I get with that. <laughs> Thank you so much, Audon, for your insight, your thoughts. And probably the last question would be, do you think we'll see other artists following in our footsteps who can re-record their uh, masters? Um, I do think there's a window of opportunity for some artists to do this. But to your point, I think future future contracts will make this very difficult to do. But will we start seeing other people who are like, wait a minute, maybe we should do that too? Absolutely. Honestly, and it's ironic I'm mentioning his name in this. Oh God. The person who I the person who I see doing this, doing this to connected to Taylor Swift. You can oh, probably God. guess who I'm about to say. No. <laughs> Don't say it. We, we, is there a name we can't say on here? No, no, say everything. I just don't know. <laughs> oh, Kanye. 
I can see okay. Kanye going to that route. I can see Kanye going in that route of making oh. sure he owns his masters even more. If he doesn't he already, doesn't? if he doesn't already, I, I'm pretty sure he does. But if he doesn't, I can oh. see him going down that route. Oh, I'm 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 making a note on this one. If he doesn't, if I'm I'm assuming he does, but mm-hmm. if he doesn't, I can see him doing it. Those two have bad blood, and that's why that, I mentioned that's that's yeah. That, that's a nod to one of her songs and to all the. Okay, we're gonna just end it on that note. <laughs> <laughs>